This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 558, Service Saves, with Meg Johnson. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. And joining me today is a friend and colleague who has a very powerful, inspiring story that ties directly into a principle of psychology that a lot of people don't understand. Joining me today is Meg Johnson. Meg, welcome to Live On Purpose Radio. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to talk about service. Service is something that you learned a lot about through your story. Now, I think we need to give the listeners a little context about who you are and what your story is. As as a young adult, You were having some fun and you accidentally jumped off of a cliff. That's true. Give us the short version of that story so people know where we're starting from, and then we'll get into the crux of what we get to talk about today. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was 22 years old and I went to Southern Utah with, you know, the red rocks, all that. And I was hiking and then I was jumping from boulder to boulder and I'd never been there before. And I didn't realize that all the beautiful, you know, red rock terrain just sort of makes everything blend together. So I jumped for this last boulder and um, I just jumped off a cliff on accident. Like I thought it was a boulder right next to me, but it wasn't. It was far away. So I, whoops, I fell about 45 feet, landed on my hands and knees, they think, or I bounced off the rocks. They're not sure. But in any case, I broke my arms, both my arms and both my legs my collarbone and four bones in my neck. They life-flighted me up to LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City, uh, where I was pronounced a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the chest down without the use of my hands. Uh, Wow. You've told that story so many times. I mean, it just rolls off of your tongue. (laughs) Yeah, I like it when other people tell the story. (laughs) But that is such a, I mean, that's the context, right? You just summarized in a few minutes, maybe even not a full minute, I don't know, something that that was transformational for your life. Everything changed from that moment forward. And it wasn't what you expected, wasn't what you signed up for, at least not that you know of, right? But here it is. And as you come to a realization of your situation, it had to be a difficult, gut-wrenching, terrifying realization. Yeah, um, I suppose my life changed in less time than it took for me to tell that short story. (laughs) Uh, Right. Just the fall was just, I mean, one minute I was walking, I could use chopsticks two different ways because I worked for a Vietnamese lady and apparently there's a wrong way. (laughs) And I I was a dancer and I had, you know, my life all put together and then it was different. Then everything was different. I I had to drop out of college 
um, for, you know, I ended up graduating later, but for the four months that I was in the hospital, I couldn't attend. And my boyfriend ended up dumping me and I couldn't use chopsticks anymore. I couldn't dance anymore. I, I, I was en route. Uh, I was going to be an aerobic instructor. <laughs> like that was my, that was my current goal that I was working on. Wow. Um, in addition to that, I was a party planner. Couldn't do that anymore either. Um, at least not while I was in the hospital. So it was just, it was very, it was very changing. Everything that I thought made me, me was gone. I, right. I couldn't, I had to get rid of all of my high heel shoes. Um, I didn't even own any flats. I didn't even own any, I didn't have any shoes that didn't have a heel on them. And so like, oh. it was just like, when I was in the hospital, I had to wear these ugly tennis shoes. I was so, I was so stripped of everything that I thought made me who I was. And I, least, I was wrong. Well, at least up until that point, th these were all of the things that you thought defined you. Or right. Your life. Right. And I was, I was incorrect that all of those things defined me. Um, I, I remember there was a time, God, how much do I want to share? This is embarrassing. Mm. I've never shared this story before. I'm a I, psychologist, um, Meg. It's okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll just, I'll just let Liz, you do have a way about you, I guess. I'll just like share this story. This is, this is, um, I mean, I'm a professional speaker. I share stories all the time. This is one I've never shared. Yeah. I was, um, I was teaching high school seminary. Um, this is years later, years later after I was paralyzed and yeah. Um, there was something went wrong. Like, like, so I didn't make it to the bathroom in time and I leaked pee. Oh like, dear. I know, I know on the floor of the classroom, it was just mortifying. I don't think any of the kids wow. noticed, but mm. to me, it was just horror, like horrifying. It was just awful. It was horrible. Right. And I drove home, you know, every, everything was fine. Like at the end, close up class, whatever I taught like a full day. And then I went home and I was driving home and I was crying and I thought, man, like, is this, is this who I've become? Like, is this the kind of person I am? Like someone who has like no control over themselves, someone who's in a wheelchair, like someone who's mm. looked down on anyway, and someone who's treated so different anyway. And then someone who like has this kind of, this kind of horrible thing, you know, I just felt so hugely inadequate. And I said, is this the kind of person that I am? And then I, and then I kind of had a moment and I smiled really, really big. And I said, no, this is the kind of person that I am. Someone who has all these things going on, but I will smile anyway. Yeah. And so I made, I made that choice mm. again and again and again. It was it's not a one-time thing, you know, that you make that choice. It's, you know, life is hard for everybody. Right. And you have to choose who you're going to be because it is what it is. And you just have to decide how you're going to be with that information. That is so powerful. And my whole experience of you, I didn't know you before you jumped off of a cliff, right? So I know you as the person that you have become since then. 
I think with what you've shared with us here, there's a whole journey around that. And there are some specific choices that regardless of your circumstances, allow you to be in a place where you can experience joy, where you can, where you can smile. And that didn't just come to you. You, you had some very significant experiences that led you there. And Meg, I would, I would love to hear you tell us about how you discovered your way out of there through service. Will you share that piece with us? And then I want to tie all of that into what you just shared as well. Yeah, I will. I will share. Um, I will share. Let's see. So I'm going to talk about coming home from the hospital and being so weak. I weighed, I'm about five foot six. And when I came home from the hospital, um, I was less than a hundred pounds. Just, I was, you know, tube fed for the four months that I was there. And it was just really challenging when I was paralyzed. So I'm paralyzed from the chest down. So my tummy muscles don't work. And so, um, the, the breathing is an issue. Like I'm, mm. you know, your backstage listeners, the people who subscribe to you, um, will probably see the video of me and I'm turning a lot and I'm twisting a lot. And what I'm doing is I'm turning my body and it makes my tummy muscles tighten, which makes the blood go back up to my head. So I don't pass out. So you don't pass out while I'm talking <laughs> to you. Can I <laughs> just comment about that? Yes, just leaves. <laughs> Meg, you and I have, have a mutual friend in Chad Hymas. And Chad has been a friend of mine for uh, years. He, and he was on this show a long time ago. Um, and I see anytime I'm in the room with Chad, he's constantly twisting his body and he's grabbing his wheelchair and pulling himself. And stre- And I think, well, he's just stretching or trying to get more comfortable. And it wasn't until you and I shared the stage where I realized, oh, there's this very practical thing about not passing out. that. Yeah. <laughs> that you're doing which you've had to learn through your experience and uh it, it just the lights went on for me when you shared that with me i i had no reason to even know that before <laughs> people generally do think that we're stretching that's true but nope we're just not passing out <laughs> you're just trying to keep the blood circulating we're just trying I, to keep the blood going and you know what I, I i feel like my job is to illuminate the obvious uh, about what's going on in people's minds. And we never, most of us, okay, we never think about circulation and how we can keep the circulation going to our head. But you have an intentional process that you do so that you don't pass out when you're doing an interview or when you're on the stage. And uh, it just, it's amazing to me how the human mind just puts a lot of things on autopilot and you don't even think about it until you have to. And when you have to think about it, your your brain is capable of coming up with new ways to handle things so that you can continue to live your life. Uh, you just do it differently. I, th- yeah. I remember Art Berg's book. You've, you've probably read it. The Impossible Just Takes a Little Longer. Um, that's Art's title. And he had a similar injury to his spinal cord. And he said, it's not that we can't do it, it's that we get to do it differently. And anyway, that's that, outside of the concept that we're talking about here related to 
your discovery when it comes to service. But I just had to, to comment about that because it was a little lights on moment for me when we talked before. Yeah, I think everyone has a little story and, you know, the weird things people do. I mean, there's information behind them. So bringing you back to to your story, you're you're there in the hospital and and you were experiencing some things that were starting to create a little bit of captivity for you. Is that fair? Um yes, that's that's entirely correct. Captivity, lack of freedom, um lack of independence. It was mm-hmm. just yeah, very very challenging and and everybody, you know, everyone hates to accept service. Everyone likes to give it, but everyone hates to be the recipient of service. Oh, I don't want, I just want to be the person who serves. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, take your time. I don't want to be needy. I don't want people to come and serve me. Everybody hates that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very challenging position to be in. And when I was paralyzed, there was no other option. I had to learn how to receive yeah. service immediately. It was, it was not, I could either I could either fight it with my chin up and my eyes low and you know say I don't need you until I die because that would have been the that would have been the alternative. Well the reality was you did need service. Yeah, yeah I did. mean I did need service and I could have refused it and then I would have died because my body would have died. <laughs> right. But I had to I had to just like, you know, I had to accept it so I didn't die. And then I had to accept it so that I could live happily. Like it was, you know, there's, there's two ways of accepting service. And when we talk about service and giving service and everyone likes that topic, I mean, of course, who can, who can deny how powerful it is to give service? Uh, it's, it's amazing. And we'll get into that for sure, because I have the hugest testimony on the power of service and the healing power of service on many levels. However, the first thing I had to learn was how to accept it mm-hmm. and not just accept it, you know, with my chin up and my eyes closed, you know, and trying to look the other way, but how to accept it with my heart and say, thank you and be grateful and learn to learn to be a good receiver. I think that was yeah. a, a very valuable lesson. For me and for everyone, everyone needs to learn how to be a good receiver. I just had to take a crash course. (laughs) Well, I had one of my clients share this with me not too long ago. There are two kinds of people in this world. And when he said that, I'm like, I'm interested. I'm a psychologist. Tell me. He says, there are those who are humble and those who are about to be. And life comes at us sometimes in in a blinding flash, and in a few short moments, everything changes, and we become humble through our circumstances a lot of times. That's what I heard as you were sharing that, and being able to receive that service that was a key component for you to get to the next step um yes, uh well, it was a Yes. I'm not sure I consciously, um, put the two together or if, Mm -hmm. you know, you maybe could 
chart out, chart out the psychology behind this. But, you know, in the hospital, I received service from the doctors, of course, and the nurses, of course, and the physical therapists and the occupational therapists, and even like psychological therapists who I had to do all of these sessions with, you know, all, all the therapists, every single one. And then when I came home, I had to receive service from my family and it was harder to receive service from my family. I didn't want my mom to brush my teeth. I didn't want my mom to comb my hair. Um, I didn't want anyone to do my makeup. I learned to do my makeup first thing. <laughs> uh. To put that into perspective, the second thing I learned how to do was eat. So <laughs> we have our priorities. <laughs> That's right. Keep your priorities straight. I know. I would. I, humility is probably a lesson that God needs me to learn in this life. And um, I'm working on it for sure. I would not describe myself as a humble person. Even now, 19 years in a wheelchair, you know, I'm still learning humility. However, I um, I am slowly learning <laughs> one by one, little piece by piece, how to receive how to receive service from my family was very challenging. You know, having my little brother pick me up and put me in the car, or you know, that was a little easier than having someone do something more intimate for me, like like brush my teeth, you know, that was very mm -hmm. challenging or help me shower. It was very hard. Didn't want, I didn't want that kind of service. I didn't want that, but I needed it, you know, at the time, yeah. little yeah. by little, I learned to regain my independence and relearn to do the things for myself um, that I had once do, you know, once done for myself. The very, one of the very first liberating experiences that I had was making myself cereal and I couldn't find you know, the cereal. And then when I found it, it was on top of the fridge. And I remembered seeing a broken curtain rod. So I went and I got it. And then I like held it between my two hands because neither hand can grip, but together, you know, they work just great, like a grip. And I held this broken curtain rod and I just beat that fridge, like <sighs> until all those cereal boxes fell down to the floor and, you know, poured my cereal and, and poured my milk and cereal and milk was everywhere. But when my mom came downstairs to check on me, and she's a chef. Yeah, I could have called her. I live in the age of cell phones, but um, she could have whipped me up something delicious. But I was eating cereal that I had made myself, and it was so liberating and mm. beautiful. And there's a quote. I can't remember who said it, but he said, what counts is not necessarily the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. Mm. And so I, I think that no matter what challenge we're going through, we have to put up a good fight. And recognize that there's things that we want in this life. Just like I wanted the cereals that happened to be on top of the fridge and we have to put up a good fight, even though along the way we have to understand that, you know, there's not, we don't need to do everything. There's independency mm -hmm. and there's codependency, but better yet is interdependency when we can work together and realize that we have things to offer other people and other people have things that they can offer us. And we can give lavishly and receive gracefully. You went through this, this entire experience of learning that you have to receive service. Everybody. The, the humility that comes as you realize, okay, I cannot, I literally cannot do this alone and survive. And you're getting to a point. Now, Meg, where you what you just said is so powerful because we all need 
And we all have deficits and we all have weaknesses. And in an experience like yours, where it is so dramatically dropped in your lap and and it's like, here, this is what you get to deal with now. And you're like, crap, um, <laughs> this is what I signed up for, but I guess this is what I have to do now. And, and the humbling experience of receiving all of that service. But then you got to the point where we all have something to offer as well. And you discovered that even though everything was taken away from you that you thought defined you before, now you're in a position where you have to rediscover what do I have to offer? Because as you're consuming all of this service, that's sustaining you, now what? And I remember you telling a story about this where you had an opportunity to experience contributing service. It's, it, you know the one I'm talking about over oh, at I the do. school? I will do. you share that with us? Because I think that is so beautiful. I will. I will share this. Um, I will share this story about me. And it's it's rich with um, with emotion. Um, of course, I couldn't I couldn't do you know this is at a time when I wasn't doing anything for myself. Um, you know, not a lot. I was doing my own makeup. <laughs> well, but, it's your priorities, after all. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I could feed myself slightly. <laughs> um, I I needed something. I needed something like I was accepting so much service by, by necessity, like a, I couldn't right. fight it. Right, um, right. And so much was about me. Um, everybody's life seemed to be revolving around mine. And my mom was calling me, you know, a rag doll with an attitude. <laughs> and that's how, you know, she was, she was my sole caregiver with, you know, everyone else in my family helping her. And it was just very challenging, very trying. And I remembered a quote that I had heard a while ago, you know, saying the hardest thing that you can do to somebody is to take away their work because then they can't stop to rest. And I remember thinking, yes, I need something. Mm -hmm. I had nothing. I had to quit my job. I quit my school. My boyfriend dumped me. I had nothing. I had nothing. I wasn't doing anything. I couldn't even help my family with the dishes after dinner. I couldn't do the laundry. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. I felt so naked as far as life goes. I had no talents. I had no abilities. I had nothing. And, um, I, there was a local elementary school. I mean, it was, it was, we lived almost on the corner and it was kitty corner to like the kitty corner, but it was so far away to me. I could not even push my wheelchair there. I couldn't even push my wheelchair, um, up, up from my door to the sidewalk because there was a, kind of an incline. And so not a steep one, but just a, a small one. And so I asked my mom again for another favor, if she would push me to this elementary school that was kitty corner from my house. And she did. And we went up to the principal and I just asked if I could volunteer anywhere there. And she put me with Mrs. Smith's second grade class. And in Ms. Mrs. Smith's second grade class, I sat outside the door um, with a little chair next to me. So I was just in the hallway and she gave me a clipboard of all the kids in the class. And one would come out and sit in the chair and they would bring their library book. I'm sure that Mrs. Smith created this service just for me. Like 
This was not something that I was jumping in and doing that they had. She just made this for me yet again, another service that I was willing to receive, I guess. So a kid would come out and sit in the chair next to me. And all I would do was I would tell them that they were doing a good job. And I could barely even talk. Like I, I had had, I had been on a ventilator for almost the four months that I was in the hospital. And so I could barely speak the words loud enough for this one kid to hear me. You know, I would just whisper out, you know, good job. You know, that was so good. You know, like you did such a good job with that word. You know, that was a big book. And then because I didn't know how to use a pencil, they crossed their own name or checked their own name on the list. And then because I couldn't talk loud enough for the kid to hear, they would go in and get the next kid to come out and sit with me. And it was small. Like that service was mostly people were serving me. I know it was secretive. They were serving me. But I was the one sitting there in the hallway and I was the one listening to those kids read. And I recognized that I still had something left to do. And I still had someone left to be. And I still could do, even though it wasn't the things I was used to doing. It wasn't, it wasn't quite so big. It wasn't quite so physical like I was used to doing. Um, I could still listen to kids read and I could still talk back to them and I could answer their questions and I could help them with the words and I still could do something. And that, that little service there was so small, mostly, mostly serving Mm. me, but I was doing a little bit of the serving. Um, and I could have been replaced really with a scratch and sniff sticker that said, good job. (laughs) I recognize how small this service was, but there was no replacing what happened inside me from this tiny, tiny little act of service. Um, I started to recognize um that I was still useful in this life, that I was still, I was still able to give something, even though I was receiving so much more. Like the the scale was very imbalanced. I was receiving so much more than I was giving. However, I still was giving something and I could still give to these kids, these second graders, these seven and eight year olds. And I started to feel useful. And I started to feel contributory, if that's a word. I started to feel it. Now I'm in my mm-hmm. new made up word, if that's not a word, I don't know. <laughs> and I started to feel valuable slightly. And maybe those things are expected. Maybe those things, even if you're not a psychologist, you would still expect uh, to feel that way. If you serve, everyone kind of knows what service does. However, maybe surprising, maybe something you wouldn't expect was that I started to feel beautiful. And I'm not talking about inner beauty. I am talking about, I'm so beautiful on the outside. Put me on a magazine, I'm so hot beauty. Like maybe you wouldn't expect that to come from service, but that's something that I had not felt in a really long time. And that was something that I was very used to feeling. Um, mm. I was very, I've dated a lot. I relied a lot on the way that I looked on the outside. And, um, like I said, I didn't own any flat shoes. (laughs) I was very, I was very outwardly, um, interested, I guess, very prideful on the outside. Uh, still am, (laughs) Mm. but after I started to serve these kids, that was a feeling that I started to feel that I recognized because I used to feel it 
but um, like, it's not like I was so prideful, like so interested in my legs before. Like I was a nice person before I was a very service oriented person before I was paralyzed. But now that I had had some, I had had a break, I guess you could say from anything that I used to do service wise. Um, and here I was serving again. And I recognized this feeling as, as beautiful, not just beautiful in my soul, but beautiful to how I looked. I felt like I was pretty. And that was something that I hadn't felt in a really long time. Mm. And I could actually give you the months. I was paralyzed in early March on March 6th. And I started to volunteer in September. And so from March 6th until sometime in September, I had not felt that service. I had not felt that giving feeling. And I had not felt beautiful. Um, in the, on all those months. And I crave service. I crave the way I feel when I serve. Um, yes, it makes me feel beautiful on the outside, but more than that, I recognize the, the good feeling that it is on the inside too. It, um, it saved, it saves me, you know, the hospital fixed me. They fixed me up so that I wouldn't die. I have two metal rods in both of my femurs. I have 27 screws in my neck. I have metal plates holding the four vertebrae together. I have a donor's bone in my neck. Um, I wow. have scars up and down my left arm for uh, the external fixator that was on my left wrist. I bro I'd broken it pretty bad. I have scars all over my body um, from, from the doctors and from the fall. Um, and the doctors fixed me. The hospital fixed me up so that I wouldn't die. But it was serving in this elementary school that healed me. And they did a the magazine story on me in Wasatch Women and they interviewed me and they interviewed the rehab director for the hospital where I did my rehab stay. And talking about me, he said, Meg has made one of those, Meg has made one of the most remarkable recoveries of anyone we've had the privilege to serve. And I attribute 100% that remarkable recovery to the service that I performed for those second graders out of the hospital and for the service that I continue to do. Um, I recently, yes. well, yes. after that, I started to volunteer in the hospital. I would volunteer everywhere. And in the hospital, like I would go and I would take service projects to the hospital rehab where I was, and I would give the patients there service projects that they would complete. And then I would take them to whoever they were serving. Um, because I thought that was so important and so helpful to my own soul um, that I needed other people to have that too. I've I've heard a couple of versions of this story now. And every time I hear you tell this, Meg, it just resonates with so much truth based on what I know as a professional psychologist, but also what I've learned in my own life experience. And if we were to recap that just a little bit, you had a profound experience where you had to receive service, whether you wanted to or not. Right. Well, and, well I, think, you, I think there's something important to be to be said about receiving service because you can absolutely you can receive service and you can receive service. Hmm. People can come over and help you or you can allow that service to be received in your heart. You can fight it tooth and nail. Like you can fight that. I am a Relief Society president in my church right now. And service is something that we do for the neighbors all over. 
Right. And there are people who let us help them. And there are people who receive service. And I love that distinction. Uh, yes. And think about this for just a minute, because on uh, there's two ends to service. Every time you receive service, someone else is providing it. And for us to resist that or receive it disdainfully is kind of like slapping them for it. Right. Because you're so As, angry at yourself. You're not mad at them. You're angry at yourself because you feel weak. You want independency right. because we think that's that's the be all, end all, top of the mountain. However, that's not it. That's not what life is about. Life is about interdependency, working with other people. Because every time you give service, someone else is receiving it. Yes. And how hypocritical are we sometimes when it's like, I just want to give. I know. <laughs> I like to be the giver. Yes, everybody likes to be the giver. Well, <laughs> nobody likes to have the trials. You know, and we won't get into that on this episode of, of the show because that's a whole other conversation that I call happy nomics. And some of you who have followed me for a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the, in the happy nomics concept, think of it this way. I'll give you the short version, Meg, because I've heard you say a number of times, I don't know why service works. It just does. And that's where most of us are. It's like, right. I know, I feel good. I, it's, there's something about it psychologically, if you think about income and expense, okay, like in your in your uh, finances, for example, I went through a bankruptcy, okay, that was my version of falling off of a cliff. Um, and it, we all have something in our life that gives us an opportunity to be humble. And I had to receive a lot of service at that time. But um, why did I get into a bankruptcy? Because I had more expenses than I had income. That's the short version. And you can't consume more than you produce or, or it goes into a hole, right? And so when you think about service as income and you think about receiving service as expense, you can look at it the same way we look at our money. And if you have more expense than you have income, you're going downhill. But you can create a positive flow as long as you're producing more than you consume. Now, that's hard to do if you're in a very expensive part of life, like you fall off of a cliff and now you're quadriplegic. That's very expensive. You have to receive a lot of service. But I love your story because in a small shift, in your mind where you saw, look, here's something I can do for someone else. And you immediately felt better right? as you did that. Because now you're using your gifts and your skills. And now I look at you, Meg. Like I'm interrupting you today in the midst of all of your pageant preparations and trying to assist as you put together, you've put together this pageant for Miss Wheelchair. I saw a young girl in a wheelchair at the event we both spoke at who was just looking at you with so much admiration and being inspired by you. You're serving people. I've seen your videos. I've, I've heard you speak. You're, you're serving people with your gifts and skills and talents. And their lives are better because you show up. 
But guess what? So is yours. Because right. now you've got all of this positive flow of human life and you, you still need a lot of service, which probably means you need to be serving more than most people. I definitely, just so I can balance the scale, right? Well, right. I'm a lot more independent than, than in the beginning, but it's yes. true. It's true. Like people help me uh, quite a lot. And I love to help where I can so that I can receive, well, so that I can be interdependent. So I'm not just a receiver and I don't feel like I have to be just a giver. You know, I give what I can and I receive what I need. I think, I think what you just said is so profoundly true. You can't just be one or the other. You have to consume. All of us do. We're human. And so we have to receive. But what can we offer? And and when we get it that it's a transaction, we are interdependent, as you said. There are people we can serve. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, well, how can I serve? That's a good question. (laughs) Make sure it's a question, not a statement disguised as a question. How can I serve? You know, Meg, you asked that question. And even fresh out of the hospital, with very little voice and still in the early stages of your healing and recovery, you asked that question. And in answering that, it turned on a whole new possibility for you. Service saves. It, It saved your life. And as you contribute service, it saves your life again. Isn't that awesome? Yes. And continue because we all struggle. And so we need, we need that service to give and we need to be willing to receive when we need it and not pretend like we could do it ourselves. Like Mm -hmm. we're weak or something. I talk a lot about um, purpose when I speak and I feel personally like purpose, a person's purpose in life is discovered as they take their talents and combine those with their trials and the ones that they can't remove. If you can remove a trial, you should definitely be doing that, but they take their talents, combine them with their trials, put those together because both of those things individually open different doors and opportunities and combine those two by finding with someone to serve. So talents plus trials plus someone to serve equals purpose. So mm. I feel like I've discovered purpose in my own life with that same formula. My talent happens to be party planning and event planning. And my trial happens to be in a wheelchair. And so I discovered someone to serve by, you know, just being in a wheelchair, I guess. And so I found that beauty needs to be something that's felt on this side of walking, which is how the Miss Wheelchair Utah Princess pageant was created, yes. which is what we're in the middle of right now. Mm. And it's very exciting and it, and it gives me an opportunity to serve and um, help people. Yes. Who was it? It was I can't remember who it was, but to follow the Savior's example, each of us must look out and find the sheep who are facing similar circumstances and um, help them along the way. You are uniquely qualified to serve that group of people. And that's not the only people you can serve because you inspire people all over the planet, Meg. 
I've seen oh. your videos. I've heard you speak. You know, this is this has been such a beautiful conversation. I, I'm so grateful to you for granting us some of your time today. Thank you, Meg, for showing up here and contributing like you do. Um, I want to make sure people have a way to connect to you. Uh, the website is pretty simple, megjohnsonspeaks.com. And is that's... It? That's where they can connect with you. I know that there's uh, there's ways there to see a little sample of you speaking on the stage. And you speak for organizations wherever people need to be inspired. So Yes. <laughs> so I would just encourage everybody who's listening, go connect with Meg. Take something that has inspired you today from this conversation and put it to work. Meg, I'm going to give you a chance to just chime in with anything you'd like to share as a final thought here. Oh, just a final thought. Well, my motto is when life gets too hard to stand, just keep on rolling. And I walked for 22 years. So I know that that's just as, that's just as applicable for someone who has use of their legs or, or not, because you don't have to be in a wheelchair for life to feel too hard to stand. And you don't have to have anything wrong with your legs to feel like you just can't put one foot in front of the other. And, um, I would just encourage everyone to keep on rolling when their life gets hard and find someone to serve and accept the service that's needed in your life, you know, gracefully. Oh, so beautifully said. Folks, you've heard it from someone who has reasons to know. Let's all go out and use what we've learned today to live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it and leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>